You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Hey, I'm Rich Fetke. And I'm Kathy Fetke. <laughs> and we're here with another Real Wealth story. I'm really excited about this couple. Um, it's like looking at when you have a husband and wife, they're both MBAs, they're both in tech in Northern California, and they own an investment property. And the investment property is making them zero dollars in cash flow every month. <laughs> so what we learned from them is what they did with that investment property to 10 times their cash flow and create real wealth. Ben and Sophie, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Good to have you here. Can't wait for you to share your story. So it sounds like, Sophie, you were already interested in real estate and understood investing. Ben, not so much. So... Yes, absolutely. I, I married into it, you could say. Um, yeah, and I, I can't take all of the credit. I would say I learned most of it from my family who, you know, since they immigrated, once they immigrated into the U.S. and were able to afford a house, that was the first thing they could, they would buy. And then they bought their first investment property. And then, and then my mom convinced me at the age of 23, like, you need to buy your first investment property now. <laughs> so That's um, I got a lot of help along the way, I would definitely say. What inspired them to to get into to real estate? I don't know. Um, it's a good question. I, I almost wonder if it's a if it's like an Asian stereotype or something. <laughs> it's like you probably heard it from other investors of, of similar background. It's like um, I think they just felt that that's you know a safe asset. Um, you know, they knew how to how to work with people and. Um, it was somewhere where they trusted they could put their money and they knew where it was going. Right. And so, um, so they've always kind of been in it, um, you know, ever since I was born really. Um, and so having somebody that I trusted, um, kind of teaching me the ropes and, um, and frankly, like learning a ton more now that we're part of the real wealth network. I, I mean, I only knew about this much about real estate investing, but there's a whole other world to it. And so just learning with Ben along the way has been really interesting. That's cool. So now you get to say, yeah, you were right, mom. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I've done a lot upset. of things. So. Absolutely. I thought you were saying Ben, ben would have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, great. Awesome. So, and then, um, so what was your, what was the process? And so you, you bought your first investment property at 23, which is cool because Kathy inspired our daughter, Karina, to buy for her first investment property at 24. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's been a great move. Yeah, so, yeah. What was so, it for you beyond mom? Yeah, I mean, um, started there. Um, you know, we property managed it ourselves for a few years. Um, frankly, it was between like my mom and my brother um, helping with any maintenance issues and tenant issues. Um, I mean, they were amazing. And then it was actually my brother um, who got into real wealth himself um, a few years before we did. Um, and just started talking about it and saying, Hey, like, have you thought about out of state investing? Like, you know, you've had this property for a long time and then, um, got us thinking about, you know, other possibilities, particularly as maintenance costs just started to build up a little bit on our side, having a house in the Bay area. Um, and then when I married Ben and he started running the financials around what we were making on that property, I think he kind of took it to the next level and, and pushed us over the, over the board. So I'll let you. What you were making or not making. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, on paper, it was making money, but you know, every year there was maintenance costs, replacing the roof, replacing dry rot in the bathroom. 
um, that was more or less making it break even. I would say more so for me when we got married was was suddenly becoming a property manager. And at the time, you know, we were living in the mission in San Francisco. Both of us were traveling for work and, you know, coming home on weekends and, you know, Sophie's mom or brother calling us and saying, hey, your 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 property has no heat. You need to change the water heater, um, you know, come over. Can you clean out the gutters? You know, I was like, well, I didn't necessarily sign up and sign up for this. And at the time, you know, I mean, I didn't, you know, I still don't. I frankly didn't have the skills of a homeowner. I lived in a 600 square foot apartment um, and um, nor, nor is a landlord. So um, when he had um, done a 1031 exchange of one of his own properties, um, purchased with uh, in Cleveland, purchased several properties there. And I looked at uh, the numbers of what he was getting. And I'd kind of been wanting to, the property had appreciated so much that we had all this equity that was not cash flowing. So I had in my mind that there could be something better we were doing with that money. And when mm -hmm. I, I saw the numbers that he was getting, it was, you know, it was to a certain extent eye-opening and it's changed the course of our lives um, that we said, okay, you know, this real estate could be a thing and it could be a new vehicle for us as a couple for how we're investing our savings from our jobs. And, and um, so we did a 1031 exchange um, ended up purchasing, as many of your investors have, our first properties in Cincinnati, where we where we ended up with about seven properties at wow. like 50% LT loan to value. And, um, you know, we went from a position where we were collecting maybe $3,500 a month for rent to, you know, more than doubling that in terms of our gross rent, but collecting that much in terms of cash flow um, once, once we completed the 1031 exchange. So it ended up being a you know, a finance, you know, a fantastic transaction, you know, and that property had more than doubled in value since she bought it. She bought it at perfect timing. So it, you know, it got us into real wealth in a big way. And then to a certain extent, changed the course of course of our lives yeah. and so everything we cool. do. And you don't have to fix any toilet. You don't have to fix toilets or that's right. Well, except yeah. in, yeah, yeah. No, we he don't doesn't we, do that in our own house. For sure. <laughs> no, just, no, I definitely don't have to fix any toilets. And, you know, I guess, I guess we're able to do the things that, you know, every investor does things differently. We were able to do the things that we like to do and we're capable of doing, which is, you know, working with the property managers, financing, you know, all of that. Whereas, you know, to your point that the fixing the toilets, um, you know, that's just not what we do. Although, you know, now as a homeowner, I do more of it. Right. Yeah. But actually, I do more of calling her brother. Yeah. <laughs> nice. He still does it, even at our house. That's cool. So you made the shift from being a property manager to uh, managing your property managers in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. That's fantastic. And and so did you guys meet in school? Um, yeah, we met. Yeah, we, we did. Actually, I was uh, I was an undergrad and he was in um, an MBA student at Berkeley. And uh, we met in Chinese class. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, randomly. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so we met in school a while ago. How I'm just curious about how long um, after you met or after you got married, did you kind of create your your plan for the future, like where you want to be? Finally? Right. Mm. Do you want me? Yeah, you go for it. I mean, I think there there's a few. I guess there's two things that happened when we got married. Um, uh, so Sophie had purchased her first house well um, well before we got married. Um, so she had a nice head start on me. So that's how I, I married into this. And I think there were two things that 
when we got married. I think first is I got some really heavy pressure for us to buy our first house mm-hmm. that we that from we who? lived in. Um, and where's, that where's the pressure actually, from? Excuse oh, me? from my mom. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. oh, they teamed up. Her parents had teamed up on me. <laughs> okay, you good. Know, after we had committed to the engagement and the wedding, and then that was well on the way, then then there were, you know, a different from different angles. Her her mother was a real estate um, agent at the time, so she was she she started sending me listings um, in the East Bay. They, none of them were in San Francisco, although I couldn't have necessarily afforded to buy a condo apartment in the city. So we ended up. Um, we ended up buying our first house in Oakland and going from 600 square feet in the mission to maybe 1100 square feet in Oakland. But I would say that house from my side ended up being my first investment in real estate and what ended up eventually being a live-in flip for us that that substantially contributed to our portfolio today. Um, And uh, the second piece to that is when we got married, you know, I did start, I started thinking about our time and what our future and what our plan was. Um, and I guess there's the what and the why, but you know, I, I created a dead, this is what I do for a living. I created an, I created a model, a business a model that said, okay, what would it take for us to, to have more time and to have that financial freedom? What type of passive income um, would we need and what type of assets would we need and how long would that take? Um, and when we got married, I'd estimated, you know, to hit our number, it was going to take us, who knows what, 20 to 25 years. By then, we were going to be 60 to 65. Um, and, you know, we we actually just surpassed that original number that I built into Woo-hoo! the model. Amazing. Um, was, your, was your original plan real estate or was no, it? No, no. Yeah, no, it wasn't. So we just surpassed that actually after seven years of being married last year. Now, of course, in those seven years, things have happened. The goalposts have moved quite a little bit. We have two kids now. Um, we have parents who we have to, you know, worry about, um, you know, senior care options and stuff like that. Life happens, so that so the circumstances change. But it's certainly significant that in seven years we're able to surpass our goal of, you know, in in a, maybe a third of the time. And and Rich, to your point, it wasn't the original model wasn't in real estate. So I think there are a couple of factors that allowed us to go so fast. There's the the appreciation that we we got from owning and selling two homes in California, you know, over the past ten years that we ten thirty one exchanged, mm-hmm. and, and and I didn't build any of that in the model. There's the cash on cash return that we get of our, out of our real estate portfolio. It was pro, is probably what we get now is probably twice what I had originally assumed um, mm-hmm. on an equities based portfolio. And then third is our, our savings rate and. Um, has has exceeded what I originally planned for, partly from our income and 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 from from our lifestyle from remaining relatively constant over the past seven years. Nice wow. work, congrats! That's really Incredible. good. Cool. When you say cash on cash return, are you are you it, you've leveraged the properties, right? Fifty percent LTV is what you said. Uh, we're still at about fifty percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you build. Equities planning models usually assume something like what's called a safe withdrawal rate. And, and most retirement planners use about a 4% safe withdrawal rate. Um, and I think that's as good as anything. I think that the dividend yield on the S&P is probably like 2% right now. So if you're withdrawing 4%, you'd have to withdraw some, some principal. But 4% is as good as anything. Um, and if you look at our portfolio right now, it's probably earning around 
let's call it 8%, right? So we're able to, with, with half the amount of equity invested, the equity's grown, but with half the amount of equity invested, we're able to get you know, the same, the same, the same uh, cash flow number. So that's one of the reasons why we've, why we've been able to get there faster. Nice. Yeah, I was curious with our fund, we have uh, kind of our, our plan is to leverage to the hilt some of the homes and then have some of them all cash so that if we needed to, we could just easily sell those if, if we ever needed to cover payments. Um, yes. So I was curious, I just yesterday talked to some of our friends who are buying their homes all cash because they just want the cash flow. Have you run the numbers either way? And what do, what do you think works best? Great question. Yeah, so it ends up being, there, there's multiple reasons, I think, why, why, why we, we, maybe different investors ended up to the, with the same result. I mean, part, we do have quite a few, let's call it half of our portfolio, all cash, and we continue to make all cash purchases. And I think there's different reasons for it. I mean, one very practically, um, it's nice to have that stable cash flow base um, so that, you know, if things hit like last year where there's an event or a time when, when there are, when you can have multiple vacancies or you're not collecting rent in multiple properties, you know, there's certainly security, security in, in having a certain a state, some amount of stable cash flow from from those all cash properties that so you're not worrying about you know suddenly bleeding out cash especially if you're not working full-time with w2 jobs mm -hmm. um your other question oh with the math i i mean i think you there is a if you're doing the analysis there there does end up being a break-even point in it based on the cap rate versus what current interest uh, interest rates are that you know you have you have to ha find a cap rate that has who knows what two to three points above above your interest rate in order for it to be cash flowing better than if you could get just all cash and finding mm -hmm. properties with that spread frankly is it's not impossible it's just more work mm -hmm. um you know i can't just pick any property off your inventory as when we first started um and get that spread you know i'm, I'm making off-market offers, all cash, all of that stuff in order to in, in order to get those cash flows. So it is a little harder to do now, but it, it can be done. And, and I'd say very practically for us, if people do the math around to hit a certain cash flow goal of, and you're at a 75% loan to value, who knows what, maybe you're getting $200 a house, you're going to end up with, and I've heard it on your listeners, 40 or 50 houses or doors or more just to hit your cash flow number. And, mm -hmm. and especially now when the inventory isn't high that's a lot of work mm -hmm. so you know if i could just buy all quad properties and they could close soon yeah. um and they would hit our <laughs> cash flow goal i would stay leveraged and i would do that but th those aren't easy for me to find so i'm actually finding we're buying off-market properties all cash and i haven't necessarily pulled the cash out of them because it's like it's it's getting us to our goals faster than than if i was trying to do everything leveraged at 150 $200 a door, we'd be, mm -hmm. I'd end up with an inordinate, a large amount of properties and it would take me a long right. time. It's a lot. It'd be a lot of work to manage, frankly. What markets are you in or some of them? We're in, we're in a lot of markets. Um, so, you know, we started out in Cincinnati um, and then I started purchasing uh, pro 
uh, properties in Houston and Birmingham. Mm -hmm. um, we also, when we sold our Oakland house, we ended up uh, buying several of the new builds in Florida. So those are in Southwest Florida, you know, right. and um, Palm Coast. So those are the four. We're also actually in Detroit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, we're purchasing now. Most of the purchasing I'm doing, active purchasing right now is in Birmingham. And we still have some properties in Florida that, that um, are contracted and we're hoping we'll close sometime this year. Great. So, Sophie, are you, do you just love hearing him talk like this? <laughs> this is pretty much like 30 to 40% of our conversation. <laughs> I <laughs> Tell mean, us about it. <laughs> whatever idea it is that I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because, um, you know, we we don't have a ton of other friends in our situation. So we are each other's sounding boards when it comes mm. to ideas and like, you know, next steps and strategy and, you know, we that's why we want to leverage the network frankly to meet more folks um who are in our yeah. same situation and um try to connect with other people we can share ideas with share i mean i know that uh ben has actually reached out to some folks that he's seen on your podcast just to connect and share um share ideas share markets share insights so um so yeah hopefully I'm, I'm not the only one listening to this all the time now right yes this is the majority of our conversation well we're each other's sounding boards I have a lot of ideas about our real estate portfolio and she has <laughs> ideas about and she takes care of all the contracting as far as what happens to you know our house our primary house big job building a lot of responsibility <laughs> yes yes it's very clear division of responsibilities. <laughs> That's great. So I'm curious, Sophie, what advice would you give to other spouses who maybe just really want to get their partner on board? Uh, and, and, you know, what, what does that take? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, in retrospect, um, when, especially when we talk to talk to friends and stuff who always ask us questions like, Hey, you know, what, what can, what advice can you give? When should we start? Is now a good time? You know, these are all the typical questions you get from folks who've never done this. It's, um, I think it's the same advice that we've heard from others on your network, which is just start now. <laughs> there really isn't a good time to start. Start as early as possible. You should have started 10 years ago, but right. you can't now. That's okay. You can start now. Um, so just getting in it as soon as you can, um, and and getting the knowledge that you can as quickly as possible too because it's it's a big one really... isn't it? just getting that first property and the knowledge and the and the mindset shift that comes with owning your first property mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's exactly right and you're never going to get it at the one at the peak you know i think everyone's waiting for oh the perfect bottom to okay, <laughs> extract every dollar that i can from the market but you know one thing that we talked about is take 80% and run <laughs> or, you know, take as, get to good enough and, and execute. And so I don't know, that's what well, it's funny. You say that because you bought your first property in 2009, right? Is that, mm -hmm. so yeah. I think it was about that. Well, she Very got different market. I got, I, I have she been to the bottom without even knowing it though, to be honest. <laughs> that yeah. couldn't have been better timing. You must've known somehow because everything was so cheap. Yeah. Um, and you were in a position to buy. It's just incredible. You know, fast forward to today, Things are very different. So a lot of times when you come from that mentality, it's hard to adjust to less cash flow, higher prices, more competition. So as you are, it sounds like you're still in the acquisition mindset. What, how do you get yourself around? Well, okay, this is so different now. It's, you know, I wish I'd bought 20, 10 years ago, but I didn't. So yeah, how, how do you get to 
buying properties now when there's when there's so much more expensive. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna let Ben no. answer that one because he handles a lot of our acquisitions these days, and um, I think he right. thinks a lot about that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a good question, right? If you're used to who knows what, ten percent cash on cash and yeah or 20 i mean it was for 20 yes i, I remember hearing one of your podcasts and someone's like i only buy 20 percent cash on cash or yeah. <laughs> um i mean for us we're just in the situation where we are and we're trying to re reach a passive cash flow number and you take what the market gives you mm -hmm. um but i mean our strategy has evolved and also as you become more and more experienced investor you get more agile and you could try different things you know like i said if i could buy all all new constructions with warranties, quads, and they were closing in time and, and, and the prices and the cash flows were good, just like we did, who knows, like two, three years ago, I'd continue to buy those, but those don't exist. So now I'm buying, who knows what, I've bought some rental resales off market where their rent is below market, price below market, might have some, might have some uh, pending repairs that I'm going to have to do in the next turn, but they get me the cash flows I need. Um, and I'm buying them all cash. And, and so I'm working with what the market gives me. And those are getting me the, you know, you have to set some minimum standards also in terms of margin and safety of what you're willing to buy, which even if you're buying all cash, you, you, have, you have to decide what your standard is as well. So I think for us, um, we've just kind of evolved a little bit in, in working with what the market gives us. Really good. Really yeah. good. So um, this is a feature we do on the podcast and everything. It's we call it real wealth stories. So it's just getting your story of where you were and where you are now and where you want to go. So the big question that I always have to ask is what is real wealth to you? Like, what's that? When you think about this is what real wealth is to us as a couple, what, what would you say? Yeah, uh, I'll, I guess I'll start. Um, I think we have a little bit of a different perspective on it. So um typically <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i would say for me um real wealth is um the first term that comes to mind is like optionality um mm. i don't have the the vision necessarily of what i will be doing you know who knows one day when i'm truly job optional mm. um but i love this idea of being able to have the time to explore that um, I think that my life in particular has been, from a career perspective, has been fairly linear. You know, I went to college, I went to grad school, I went to a management consulting role, I've been in tech now for five years, and, you know, I can continue to do that. And I've always kind of, I think, been expected to, to move a particular way. Um, but this idea of real wealth and job optionality is still new, actually, in my mind. And, and, and starting to percolate, you know, I, I don't feel the stress of, okay, I have to get to the next, you know, get promoted. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to answer every recruiting call because I, I, you know, I need to get to the next level. Now I can think about, hey, you know, like maybe I want to do a complete pivot and who knows, go into education or nonprofit or just like allowing my mind to have that type of creative space um, and time to, to, to dabble. Um, a little mm -hmm. bit. And who knows, maybe like I'll do that for a while and come back to tech. Um, but just 
it's a relief. It really is. Like time freedom, huh? It is. And just is and you know, I know we talk about this all the time, but it's it's funny. We often talk about it when we're stressed about work. It's like our release. You know, wow. we, we use it as a way of saying, let's not talk about work. Let's talk about our future uh, <laughs> and how smart. close we are to <laughs> it. Really it's like smart. what that's gonna be like. And that that gives us um something to look forward to. So a positive focus. Totally. Yeah. So I mean, certainly time was a motivator for me and you, and you heard that and there's a component of real wealth that's around passive income but I think one expected outcome of this for me is the the wealth of knowledge that I've gained in this journey through investing in real estate and and I think this is something you hear in a lot of your podcasts there's the sense of empowerment and confidence that comes with that mm -hmm. um, I think that has turned out to be a form of wealth in itself um, that I possess that, that we built this business, that we built this passive income stream, and, and, and I still have a knowledge to learn and gain mastery um, and continue to learn, you know, who knows what. It becomes a process and a mindset, like you said, and less of an outcome that we're trying to drive towards. Um, and so then that's, you know, and that's probably why you started Real Wealth in this education, but that, that's been one thing that I've gained, gained from this, and I think it's a uh, wealth of knowledge that's a that's an asset in itself it's an asset no no one can take away absolutely <laughs> it just keeps getting better i love that yeah, yeah. and it keeps giving back it keeps giving you returns i think it keeps on giving you returns and there becomes almost a not a desire to grow and invest in it even after you know who knows what even after you maybe you don't need to have a job anymore um and and you hear a lot of investors you know real estate becomes a passion and you want to continue to learn and 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 invest and learn about new ways of investing that that um and it becomes a mindset mindset and a process beyond you know just trying to hit some passive income number yeah That's and then part really of that cool. is also being able to share that with you know family and friends and you know right. they, we get a lot of questions now about our strategy and our plan and you know, we finally have maybe one or two friends who are like dipping their toes into it and have started out. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> well, it took us good. about three or four years to convince them. But, you know, I think um, just being able to provide others with similar opportunities is really has been very fulfilling. Love it. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So any last tips you would give to our listeners who are, who are tipping, tipping their toes <laughs> in the water? Yeah. Or about to? About to. I'll let you give the last advice. <laughs> Sure. I mean, I think my, my Sophie said it herself about getting started. I think for most people, the path to financial independence in, is is like a ten year journey, and it's not a transaction, and it's not a moment in time. So if you ask any of us, when's the best time to start a ten year journey? Well, probably today. <laughs> no better time than the present. Um, and I think for most people, they're thinking, oh, prices are so high, but you know, if you're on a, if you're trying to hit some number and you do the math and most people who have medium bay income salary, say um, salary and trying to hit some six figure number, you're going to require 10 or 20 houses um, to get there. So your journey is not a transaction at a point in time. You yeah, have good to, point. Um, you might as well start learning what it takes and buy that first house and learn what it takes to buy that second and third or fourth house. And there's no reason to to wait one year, two years, or three years to start that, because um, it's going to take a while, and you're going to learn along the way. That's yeah. awesome. Be an investor, not a gambler. <laughs> yeah. Invest for the long haul. 
And that journey may be just reading a book or listening to a podcast or yeah. having a conversation with you. You know, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to go buy a property today. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. But not three years from now. <laughs> well, that's the thing is there is this fear. There's always this fear, this voice in the back of the mind that is there going to be another 2008 that where I would lose everything or a 2009 where I could buy so cheap. And, and if you, all you have to do, all you have to do is pull up a graph. Um, you can go to Fred. It's, it's the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. Just look it up, existing home sales or um, median home prices. And, and you'll see, even in the biggest recessions, prices continue to rise. So 10 years from now, most likely based on history yeah. and based on the money creation, homes will be more expensive. Property will be more expensive. So you can wait. Or you can get it cheaper today. <laughs> right. right. Well, and I think there's also a question of, of, I mean, what question are you asking? Is now the right time to buy a house or to, write, to buy any house? And for, for me, maybe that's the wrong question. The question to me should be, if I'm going to buy a house and I want it to be investment for the next seven to 10 years, what are the factors I look for in making sure that that's a good investment in terms of margin safety, in terms of where you buy that house so you are confident that no matter what happens in the economy that this could be a good investment for me for the seven to, next seven to ten years that's the, the right question i think rather than should i be buying any house anywhere at Love this that. time that's, that's such really good great. stuff yeah oh well ben and sophie it's been such a pleasure to have you here on the real well show We've, yeah, i personally you. learned a lot from you so thank you <laughs> well I mean, thank you for having us. And also thank you for everything you do. As you've seen, um, all the houses we've purchased have been through the Real Wealth Network. Well, since since those first two. Yeah. Um, so we've certainly valued, gained so much value from everything you do from the affiliates, as well as the education, as well as these podcasts. So, you know, we've gained um, so much from this. So thank you for listening. Awesome. Thank you. That means a lot. That does mean a lot. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's our why. All right. <laughs> And thank you for joining us here on The Real Wealth Show. You can go to realwealthshow.com to get access to hundreds of free webinars and all kinds of information and referrals to really experienced property teams across the country who can help you get started in real estate. Again, that's realwealthshow.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.